hoffe. Alright guys, welcome to Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. Something seems a little bit different. I don't know if you've noticed, you can actually see our ugly white faces now. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're watching this, because this is the very first, I'm so proud to say, this yeah. is the very first video episode of Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. And man, I'm ecstatic about this. Yeah, so I'm am so I. happy. This is so cool. Um, yeah, this is the M94.5 video podcasting studio. Thank you, M94.5. Thank you, Mo. This is this is so great. And thank you, Tony. We've got a live switch. Tony. Huh? Tony. Tony. I'm sorry. I was always hearing Tony. <laughs> great way to start. <laughs> Thank you. We've got a live switch over in the corner. We've got three cameras here. We've got soft boxes, LEDs. I love it. We got a whole cool camera setup and three screens and it's just going to be a really exciting endeavor and adventure from here on out. And it's, yeah, we have a really great guest today. And first thing I'd like to say is a big thank you to our biggest fan, Moritz Binder. Thank you very much. For these great mugs. This is our late night artsy fartsy mug. Cheers. Cheers. Pure Ancien. <laughs> no better way to no, start. No, I know your Ancien face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't lie to me. Oh man. Well, we've got a really great guest, and I just wanted to go. I just wanted to start off with saying like everything's fresh and new. There's bound to be a handful of small mistakes. Uh, if we can, if it makes sense, we'll address it. If not, just Grit your teeth and bear with it because it's artsy fartsy immigrants. There's bound to be some sloppy moments. But most importantly, the guest is really, really entertaining, really exciting. I can't see myself wanting to waste any more time. So without further ado, I introduce to you the one and only Morgan Wood. <laughs> Swipe the wrong way. <laughs> Hi, thank you. What a nice intro. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had the clapping. For oh, yeah, we get these cool drop ins now, too. The, the production value is through the roof now. <laughs> yeah, I'm really honored to be your first uh, guest on your on video. This is like a really swanky setup you have, like definitely I'm moving up in the world here. It's definitely Artsy Artsy an Immigrants. upgrade. Like the previous, <laughs> I mean, we've, we've done this show just about two years now as purely mm -hmm. audio. And I think, yeah, the nicest setup that we've had was probably just that studio down the hall, but it was just this blank white yeah. kind of sterile, you know, just like run of the mill radio room, you know, where you mm -hmm. just, um, you, you're just recording normally, but it's not this exciting thing. This, this is super exciting for us to just be in here and have like, I don't know, even the small things like the blue wall and the, the plants and LEDs. I hope it's not too exciting so that we also get to an end some when, <laughs> Also Tonight. get to an, oh yeah <laughs> at some point we can actually talk, <laughs> um, but so Morgan you were one of the um, one of the people who contacted like we put out this post a few months ago of like are you an artsy fartsy immigrant and you know you so kindly wrote in and said yes you know I'm from the UK I'm living in Germany I'm a drag queen and that just really piqued our ears up because we we knew we were going to go into video we thought what a what like what a great visual way like like optically to kick this thing off then then with a drag queen can to bring you, back the artsy factor 
They're bringing back the artsy factor, exactly. Can you hear us and see us okay? What a great way to start. What a perfect way to start. Internet struggles on the Zoom connection. <laughs> but we I get... can't hear you. <laughs> you can't hear us. Can you? Okay. Still frozen from the... Oh, ah, there we are. There we are. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Did you, did you hear everything we said? I didn't hear any of it because someone tried to call me and it interrupted the oh. uh, everything on my computer. <laughs> like a face, like a FaceTime call. Yeah. Ah, I'm okay. Sorry. No, no, no problem. That's all right. That's all right. It happens. But now the 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 the, the image is also better. The image oh. is it's a little clearer, right? Okay. And it fits. You're welcome. It fits the sixteen to nine frame now. So yeah, yeah. yeah it does. <laughs> all right. Maybe this was fate. Maybe we just had right. to like take a little break. Someone like me had to just calm down <laughs> and then we can start this right. Well, what I, what I said a few minutes ago was that, um, you know, like a few months ago, we put this post out on Instagram, are you an artsy fartsy mm -hmm. immigrant? And tried to get it seen by as many people as we could because we didn't have like a lot of guests lined up for 2021 at all. We had a handful and I thought, man, it'd be cool to just get people that we've never met through friends, never heard of before. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, you wrote in and said, yeah, I'm, I'm a drag queen. I'm, I'm from, you know, the UK. I'm in Berlin. Mm -hmm. And we thought, man, you know, we're going to go into video podcasting soon. What a great optic way to kick things off, you know? Yeah. So, um, so your name is Morgan Wood. And I, I see on your Instagram that you also have like, is it Callisto or Callisto? Callisto, right. So, yeah, I usually go by Morgan Wood. My full drag name is Morgan Wood Callisto. Mm -hmm. It's a long story. Um so Wood is actually my family name. When I started telling people I was going to do drag, uh, so one friend was like, oh, you should be Miss Morning Wood. <laughs> and I was like, that's funny, but it's a bit too obvious. And yeah. then someone else was like, how about if you have a name that sounds like morning, but doesn't mean more, but isn't morning. And then I was like, oh, Morgan, it's a name in English, but it means morning in German. So I was like, oh, that's perfect. Morgan Wood. Um, oh, and Morgan then I was, Wood. Oh, there you come go. on, man. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it, it takes a minute to drop, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I was adopted into the House of Jupiter, which is uh, a drag house here in Berlin. And um, I don't know. I just had the idea that, oh, I could add Callisto to my name because it's a moon of Jupiter and astrology nerd. It just felt like it fit. You um, see, like so sometimes... We, we, we've done some research and we, and we know that you're really into astrology. And I want to get into that. <laughs> But I'm so naive, man. I'm so green because whenever I, like, I knew that you were into astrology. And then whenever I uh -huh. see things in your bio or in your posts about House of Jupiter, I thought, oh, you're talking about like an astrological, like, oh, my moon is here and I'm in the no. House of Jupiter. I thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's, I mean, that fits, right? No, but it's a, a house in a, in a sense, in this sense that I'm talking about. It's like a drag family, like a chosen family of people. Uh, who we sometimes perform. I mean, not recently. We haven't performed together, but what this was my one of my friends, Vanessa Jupiter. She's also a Berlin drag queen, mm -hmm. and she started the House of Jupiter. And I don't know, me and a couple of other her of her drag children took Moons of Jupiter as part of our names. So it just was a nice gesture, mostly. That's really cool. I guess there's like a lot of community, like a, a very communal feeling in the, in that scene, right? Right. I mean, the house. This whole concept of houses comes from really. Mostly from the uh, from the eighties in New York City, when uh, people doing ballroom, which is where kind of modern drag started, would form actual houses. They would actually live together because they were rejected by their families, or they were kicked out on the street. They had nowhere else to live, so they would live, form a family and a house and live together. And they would have 
a house name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's become kind of more symbolic, but it's still, the idea is still there. So oh, that's, that's really That's what I mean by a house. Oh man. And this is just like cracking the first layer in this, in this giant omelet of things that I want to mm-hmm. get into because there's so much to learn here. Yeah. Um, but I think what's probably best because we're going to have so much cool stuff to talk about in terms of, of your whole life in drag. Mm-hmm. It might be best to start with like the simplest things, which is, you know, the, the third word in this podcast title, the immigration part. Um, I would love to know, you know, where you're from exactly in the UK and, you know, mm-hmm. where you grew up. Yeah. So I, I grew up in East London, near to Stratford, where the Olympics were held in 2012. Um, but I haven't lived, I haven't lived there since then, essentially. Um, I moved to Berlin yeah, six years ago before living here, I was living in Austria, teaching English as a foreign language. Um, oh. I always had the idea of moving to Berlin. I moved here with my partner at the time. We've since separated, but we're still very close. And um, yeah, it just made a lot of sense to move to Berlin at the time. Uh, I mean, being an EU citizen uh, and oh, yeah. I could already speak German. I had some friends living here. It just felt right. I mean, I'm now actually in the process of applying for German citizenship because I still want to be an EU citizen despite Brexit. I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah. I have another friend who did the same thing, um, not not from London, but yeah, from mm-hmm. Birmingham. He did the same. Right. Um, so w- when did you, so like before you went to Austria to teach English, that was something from a young age you wanted to do? You wanted to teach English in, English in a foreign country? Or? No. <laughs> <laughs> um I studied linguistics at university, which, although it sounds like it is not learning a lot of languages, it's the science, the study of the science of language, basically. And um, there was not really any logical career path with that other than writing dictionaries, which sounded really boring. (laughs) Um, So teaching was kind of an obvious choice. And I really wanted to travel a lot. I was very interested in like traveling the world. And I realized pretty quickly that teaching English was a way to be able to facilitate that essentially. So I got qualified to teach English uh, after traveling in Asia for a couple of months. Then I moved. I mean, I didn't really move to Austria. I was working for this company based in the UK who would send teachers to schools in Austria for like to do intensive courses for a week. Mm-hmm. I traveled to other, other parts of uh, Europe as well, Hungary, Switzerland, a bit of in Germany actually to teach. Um, and I also ended up later teaching in Argentina and Spain for a little short time. Wow. Uh, but no, I didn't. Teaching was not something I w- always wanted to do, but I realized, oh, I could do this. And I'm actually, I was good at it. I don't do it anymore because I don't like working with children. But <laughs> <laughs> Like once you yeah. hit the road and you were traveling to all these different countries, how long did it take before you landed in Austria? Um, well, I mean... It was kind of all mixed up together, right? Because I wasn't working full time in Austria. It was like I wouldn't, there was no work in the summer, in the Mm -hmm. school holidays and in the, uh, in the fall and winter, there was much less. So I would, I would teach like through the, through January through to spring. Mm -hmm. Then I would have like on and off uh, teaching gigs and, and travel. So I would, uh, I would save up my money while I was teaching and then travel for extended period of time afterwards so it was 2010 I first went to teach in Austria and then the same year I was I was also traveling in the Middle East for a couple of months then two years later I was in South America for 11 months wow um and then moved to Berlin in 2014 so 
it was not a very yeah it's not as linear as that really yeah it (laughs) It never is right yeah yeah. but um moving to berlin there's um something interesting that came to my mind because you said in one of your um youtube videos you do i think we'll get to that later Mm. that um you don't want to live in the uk and i heard like two days ago um something i found um pretty interesting by the the author i don't know if you you guys know deborah feldman have you heard of unorthodox the book deborah feldman feldman oh yeah Uh. or the net the netflix the netflix show um Mm -hmm. and she also migrated from williamsburg new york um to uh, berlin and she said berlin is a city for people that um either have no background that's that's what she said or um want to leave something behind is that something that you could apply on yourself Hmm. yeah maybe that's i never i never heard that quote i never thought of it but i i feel drawn to it actually yeah um yeah i never thought of myself as very typically british and i i often felt like i didn't fit in 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 britain um like your whole life or or just as you got older i mean i guess as an adult yeah um and by the way i don't i don't like to call it great britain because it's not that great (laughs) but um (laughs) yeah so moving to a place which was i mean maybe you know in berlin it's very easy to meet lots of people who are not from germany or from berlin at least um so moving to this place where i felt like oh i fit in with this community of people who are also not from this place and felt like they didn't fit in the place that they come from that kind of I don't know, it worked for me. It made sense. Do you, do you um, feel like living in Berlin that it's more difficult to, to keep a, a tight grasp on the German language? Because, of course, I always thought about going there as an American, of course. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I mean, and you studied linguistics, maybe it's different for you, but I'm, it's very difficult for me. And I keep this kind of basic level of B1 and I try so hard and I'm still taking classes and, of mm-hmm. course, started an English-speaking podcast, <laughs> do an English-speaking radio show, you know, singing yeah. in English. And so I've tried my best to balance it out. But, you know, I have, I have a few friends, of course, who got citizenship. And, and the thing mm-hmm. is comparing, like we're in Munich and comparing Munich to Berlin, it's so different. It's yeah. mostly German and you really, really have, you will be put in situations where you, English isn't an option. I so bet, do you think yeah. living in Berlin for you, it's harder to hold on to the language that you know? Because everyone wants to speak English, right? Right. The thing is, I mean, so one of the reasons I moved to Germany in the first place was because I could already speak German and my partner too, although he's also British. Um, he actually li- used to live in Munich before we met. So he knew the city and we visited together and I, I liked visiting, but I realized it wasn't the city I would like to live. It was just too small for me. I like big cities. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I first moved to Berlin, Berlin kind of felt small from moving to, from London, but um but now, I mean, now I'm just, I'm used to it, but it, it's, it's the funny thing. I thought, oh, I would speak German all the time, but I mean, I basically live in English. I can speak German fluently actually, but I almost never do. Um, oh, man, so I mean, I host, <laughs> I host my drag shows in, in, in English, um, which I think makes sense for other reasons potentially, but anyway, the, um, yeah, I, to be quite honest, I don't, I can speak German. I don't really like speaking German. Here, here. No. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, Jordan, but I can't speak it that well. I think if you would have moved to Berlin, you wouldn't have learned a single Not a word, word of German. Yeah. No. Until now. That's true. I'm <laughs> true. I, yeah, I know forced. tons of people living here who don't speak any German. Not just English speakers necessarily, but 
But there's also this strange mentality amongst a lot of, um, I guess, American and, and UK, Canadian, Australian immigrants here where it's like they they want to be here, depending on the city. They want to be here. They came here for some reason, mm-hmm. but they're like aggressively against the language. I'm not <laughs> aggressively against the language. I like, I like living here. It's just very hard for me. I just don't have the ear for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I just can't, just can't grab it the same way that I could grab, I don't know, for example, music or something, mm. you know? Yeah, but I grew up with this language, and I can I can tell you. I also studied linguistics for a while. Um, okay, so I I sometimes uh, really hate this language a lot. <laughs> it can be pretty it's harsh. It's so tricky, man. <laughs> I mean, I do these God, I do these uh, German word videos on Instagram, and it, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a coping mechanism for me. <laughs> you know, I can look at it, I can look at it, and I can go, "Look how ridiculous this is! Look how crazy yeah. your words are!" And it's kind of a way, it's kind of my therapy for, for enduring the German language, you know? Oh, man. But I, I, have this, I have this question because I know that for a lot of people, um, like coming out in whatever fashion it might be, whether that's coming out as, as gay or coming out as someone who wants to, to, to be in drag, um, you know, was, was any part of that difficult for you when it comes to your family and I'm asking because I, I have this, I have my brother and he's gay and he had this really, you know, we're from, we're from the South. Like we were born in mm. Mississippi and then we lived okay. in Louisiana and he had the hardest, hardest, hardest time mm. um, admitting to my parents who he is. And it's something I was so proud of him for. And I wonder if you had like a tough time with any of those things as well, or was it a totally different situation? So, I mean, I consider myself very fortunate. So, I mean, out of drag, I'm a, I'm a cis gay man. Um, and yeah, I identify as gay or queer. Queer is fine, but gay is also accurate for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up in suburban London in the 90s. And my, my mom, who was my, essentially my only parent, was very, very open, very supportive. Like her, her best friends that we would hang out with at weekends were a lesbian couple. Uh, called Leslie and Leslie. No way, man. <laughs> yeah. You're kidding. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not making it up. And uh, she she was a doctor of like a family doctor and she like listed herself as an LGBT friendly doctor. Um oh. and I remember like a very as a very young kid asking her like like one night before going to sleep like what if what if I grow up to be gay, mom? And she's like that's fine, I'll still love you. Oh. And then that's so yeah. great. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so I'm very fortunate in that sense. Um, with my extended family also, there was never really, there was never really a problem. There was also never really a conversation actually. I mean, with my mom, when I was like 18 or 19, I had, I had like a friend over and I thought that she, she knew that he was a friend, but actually he was my boyfriend. And then he left like just after hanging out and she was like, was that your boyfriend? And I was like, yep. End of conversation Uh, (laughs) until I don't know five years later when it was like I was openly gay and had a partner and so on but um yeah so that was never an issue for me um I was I guess I was bullied a bit at school but I mean it it doesn't it's not something that has stuck with me um then being uh wanting to do drag was something so well actually (laughs) it goes back pretty far when I was 13 years old I went to I was very lucky to travel to Australia with, with my family, with my mom and my brother. We've, we were visiting uh, like a school friend of my mom who'd emigrated there. 
And it was just a few years after this famous Australian film, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, had come out. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you know it. It's a film about three drag queens who travel across Australia in a school bus. Um, And we watched, they were really, like, proud of showing us this Australian film that had become internationally famous. And we watched it and I was like, oh, my God, I want to be a drag queen when I grow up. And so for the next year for my birthday, I specifically asked to have a costume party for my birthday so that I could dress in drag as an excuse. Oh Um, man, that's so nice. (laughs) Everyone was totally fine with that. I mean, my friends didn't recognize me, but it was like, it was not a big deal. I didn't feel super comfortable with it because I mean, I was 13 and I wasn't really fully comfortable in my own body. So trying to embody something else was a bit of a tricky situation. Sure. I kind of put that away for a long time. And then it wasn't until I was, I mean, I'm 35 now. It was what? Yeah. Three years ago that I here in Berlin decided, Oh, drag, that's something I'm interested in. Let's see if I could try doing it myself. And uh, yeah. So it was, I mean, coming out already in the scene here, like surrounded by other people doing drag and going to lots of shows and knowing the people there. Um, so that was kind of, that was easy. I mean, that was, a Yeah. That's perfect because that actually led into the next thing I wanted to ask. Like, you know, you saw, you, you saw this glimpse of it at 13 and then, you know, you're already in your 30s and you're already in Berlin yeah. and everything when this kind of happens. Like the first time that you decide to go for it and to do it, you know, what what was this moment that inspired? Was it just the like the, zei- the zeitgeist? Oh, buzzword. <laughs> was it like the zeitgeist of, um, of like being there? And the- <laughs> oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Was it just like being in that moment and seeing something or, you know, where were you? What was like the, what was like the place where you first did it? So, well, I'd, I'd just been, I guess I had, yeah, I somehow had remembered that drag was something I was interested in doing. And like for my birthday, one, one year, I just like bought a bunch of makeup. I didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. I'm just playing around with it at home, just feeling like, oh, this is just something I'll do at home just for fun. I don't want to take it anywhere necessarily. And then um, I discovered this monthly drag show that happened at a bar just like down the street from where I was living. Uh, and I went there again and again and again. And this, the host of the show, Judy Ladovina, who's kind of a big deal here in Berlin, she gives a lot of people their first uh, stage experience mm-hmm. in drag. Uh, and she would do that exactly in the show. She would like ask for volunteers from the audience to like, lip sync for their lives to a song and then there was a winner blah blah whatever in fact it, like it was always everyone was a winner because fuck competition which i'm very <laughs> down with yeah totally um, <laughs> so she i ended up being one of those people and then after the performance she was like so you you were really you were really living on that stage weren't you you've you've got a free invitation to come back next month and perform on this stage on your own if you want to. And I was like, well, actually I have been <laughs> practicing at home. I think I want to do that. And uh, yeah, I just, once, once I started, it was like unstoppable, really. I couldn't. <laughs> well, like in I general, couldn't. in general, what does Berlin offer for drag? Like what's, what's the community as a whole like there? It's, it's really interesting. Cause there's in a way there's kind of two completely separate drag scenes they're not completely separate. There is some overlap, but there's like the German drag scene and then the international drag scene. And they do overlap a bit. Uh, there are definitely, especially younger German drag performers who exist in both spaces, but they are kind of separate. And the distinction is that the German 
scene is the shows are hosted in German and the international scene they're hosted in English, right? Yeah. Um, because, uh, but yeah, that I find kind of a shame in a way. But I mean, I also understand it. Like, of course, that makes sense to have shows in German, and I mean, eventually that could be fun to host a show in German. I I would be up for that challenge. But um, there are so because there are so many people who are not German or don't speak much German here, or if, yeah, regardless, who are just visiting. It's, I mean, there's so much tourism in Berlin. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. there used to be that having drag shows in English, I think makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Um, and so of course that attracts the international performers, like the people who've moved here from non German speaking countries. And, uh, I mean, in, but in general, I would say, so I'm, I'm much more a part of that scene. Um, I try to cr like cross the line a bit when, when possible, but, um, yeah. Yeah, that scene, it's, it's pretty young. I would say a lot of the performers in the international scene are very young. Like I'm kind of old actually <laughs> for, a, for a drag queen in Berlin. I think in the German scene, it's, a, it's quite different. There are a lot, there's a lot more range of, of ages. If it makes you uh, feel better, I, after watching a lot of your videos to prepare for this interview, I never would have thought you were 35. If it makes yeah, you feel I, better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> No, I mean, also one trick, the trick for that is I've always had partners who are older than me and it always makes me feel younger. So like. Word. <laughs> um, do you think, well, here's the interesting thing though is, do you think you would have gotten into drag if not for Berlin? Maybe you never made it there. That's yeah. I was thinking about that recently. That's a really good question. Um, I mean, who knows? Like, a lot of people, when they find out that I'm a drag queen and I'm from London, they assume that I started doing drag in London. And there's a huge drag scene in London, potentially bigger, much bigger than Berlin, actually, mm -hmm. um, just because it's a bigger city. But but I have no idea what the scene is like there. I have no connection to it. I've, I performed once there. I was visiting and I just happened to manage to get a, a, a spot. But yeah. I really have no idea because my life in London was totally different than what it is here in Berlin. And I mm -hmm. don't think I just wasn't the kind of person who was inclined to go out and go to clubs and be like surrounded by people and watch drag shows like that never would have occurred to me. But in Berlin, it just seemed it was much more somehow accessible. I mean, like yeah. it's very common in Berlin that drag shows, they're just in a bar. You don't have to pay an entry fee. You just yeah. buy drinks and then maybe you, you give a tip at the end. So it's just, it's just, it's much less commitment to go to a drag show. Absolutely. Than I mean, in London, I probably that exists too, but I think most of them are very much like a stage performance. You buy a ticket, it's a set price. The drinks are crazy expensive. You have to pay 50 euros just to get there and whatever, you know, because it's yeah. crazy expensive. So I, yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. The Berlin, um, the, I said the Berlin. Berlin. The, the Berlin <laughs> the, the setup is, uh, is actually a lot like the New Orleans one. I don't know if you've ever traveled there before, mm. but... Um, mm. Really amazing city for drag, and okay, it's and burlesque as well. And I remember um, going into so many venues, uh, and depending on the neighborhood, and you know, you would say like, let's say your band would book a gig, and they would say, ah, um, yeah, perfect, you can do Friday night, but you can't load in until uh, ten o'clock because that's when the so and so drag show ends. And then you have uh -huh. a window until midnight because that's when the other, either they would be drag or would be burlesque until, until one or something. And it was such normal fare. You know, you, mm -hmm. would, you would pass one and see a jazz club and pass the next one and see like a heavy metal thrash band. And then you'd go there and be like, 
oh, well, there's Dragon there, and you can you can just go right in. And oh, this bar has great drinks. They, oh, the, I know the bartender. Let's just sit down. And you were always <laughs> just kind of surrounded by that world, so it's kind of cool. I can see what you mean about this. Um, what was the perfect word you used? This like uh, accessibility. Accessibility. Thank yeah. you. Yes, and that's something I'm really passionate about for my own. Well, like when I started hosting a show myself, like it was very important to me that it was accessible. So yeah. I mean, even like physically accessible, it's in, it's in a bar that's on the ground floor, which has no uh, barrier to entry mm-hmm. for one thing. Um, but also there's no entry fee. The bar specifically did not want to charge entry, which is great. And they were like, you can keep all of the tips yourself. Oh, Perfect. That's awesome. Um, because that's going to, some people are just not going to come if they have to buy a ticket to something they haven't seen. Yeah. The beauty, the beauty. And I find also people are more generous with their tips when you ask for the tip at the end, because they've already seen the performance. They know that they're not disappointed with it. So yeah, that's and true. probably it's see the really... effort that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Speaking yeah. of putting effort into things, unless you had a question on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. But that, that, that connects somehow mm-hmm. because I wanted to, to touch on um, you as a drag queen and uh, drag as a, as a form of art. Mm-hmm. Um, because I guess you said you you started three years ago and i i can only guess like with any other form of art learning an instrument painting or whatever did you have that one point of big frustration where you just thought okay i'm not i'm not capable of doing this maybe the makeup uh, the performance or whatever um on a micro level for sure there are things i've tried to do like in terms of makeup or I don't know, a certain kind of performance. I'm like, I just can't do this. But the beauty of drag is that you don't have to do anything specifically. It's not the, the analogy to learning an instrument is an interesting one because in a way it's like, sure. Like people recognize, Oh, that's a clarinet player or that's a piano player. People recognize a drag queen, but there isn't one way to, to be a drag queen. You can do, I mean, really anything. I, I, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I kind of, and maybe it sounds pretentious. I kind of subscribe to the idea that like, like most art, if you say it's drag, then it's drag. Um, so it's really up to the, the artist to decide that this is drag. And like all of what you see here, like this ridiculous wig, these crazy lashes, all this makeup, it's all optional. You don't have to do this to be a drag queen. Like there are drag queens who don't, who never wear wigs or who just do like lipstick and nothing else or um, whatever. You don't even have to wear high heels or sho- even shoes at all. Like <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Um, so is that what attracted you also or something that attracted you so much to it? I mean, I do like a lot of the superficial things <laughs> about <laughs> being a drag queen. To they, be got, honest. they gotta be fun. Just, <laughs> yeah. It's just fun. And it's just yeah. a, a way of expressing myself. It's also for me, like, especially with makeup, it's a, it's, it's a way of like confronting and letting go of my internalized homophobia because like mm. you shouldn't look so you shouldn't look too feminine. It was always like, I guess an internalized idea that I had. And so by mm. becoming hyper feminine is like a way of being like, fuck you internalized homophobia. <laughs> so that's very like for me personally, it doesn't really doesn't have anything to do with anyone else externally. It's a very like healing process, but um, it's a very nuanced way to look at. It. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And just presenting like in this hyper, like extreme feminine way is very like, I find it very empowering actually, because it's, it's actually just, that's actually part of who I already am, but I was always suppressing it. Um, but the fact that 
yeah, drag doesn't have to be done in a certain way. I find that I do find that really attractive to the community as a whole because it's, I mean, I mean, I know my community in Berlin, I, I can't really speak beyond. Um, it's very, very diverse. There's all different kinds of drag, like, and it's not just drag queen, of course, there are drag kings. So like typically right. people who are assigned female at birth who do masculine drag, basically. Um, but, but also anyone can do that. Like I've also done, I've also performed as a drag king, actually, even though I'm a cis man, like there's no, there are no boundaries. There's no rule book. It's up to the people making the art to decide what it is and to push it forward. I think and that's really, I find that really exciting. Yeah. I saw the, um, the, I don't, I don't know if it was like a make not, it was less of a makeup tutorial, but more of just like a preparation thing with, is it faux Katya? Mm. And that was really right. interesting to see too, because she had a really, you know, really cool insight on, on, you know, aiming towards drag King and, and her intentions and her perspectives on it too. That was, yeah. that was a really cool one too. Um, but I, earlier I was going to ask like, because we were talking about how much effort it is or how much effort you like to put into it, you know, at, depending on what you're feeling because you said also in mm. your videos that you um you like to try completely different things each time like you're not you're not stuck into one look as a lot of i mean i guess a lot of popular drag queens can be right um how has i mean you've talked about it a little bit before but just for people who've never um seen you before how has corona affected your your drag queen life i mean I, you know you have these videos and like doing these uh shows for for the quarantined people mm -hmm. you know what has this whole thing been for you has it been more insightful like learning things or more difficult lonely i mean all of the above <laughs> it's um i've definitely learned and tried a lot of things that i wouldn't have tried otherwise i mean i started a youtube channel because of the first lockdown basically um, I always had that in the back of my mind. That was something I wanted to do, but I never, I just never got around to it. And that seemed like the perfect moment. And then um, trying different kinds. Yeah, I definitely experimented a lot more with different kinds of makeup when I was just sitting at home because there was no, like I didn't, it was not dependent on me going somewhere to perform. So I could try something crazy, like paint myself blue or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and then hosting shows online has been, I had like a, it's been a kind of an up and down experience. So at the beginning it was like, oh, this is cool. This is really fun. This is a new challenge. And then I kind of just got into the groove of it, like figuring out the technology mm -hmm. that was kind of whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm okay at that, but I'm not, it's not like something I love. So I, I, could, I could do it. That's the boring part. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's also, but then, but then discovering that actually the technology enables me to do things that I could never do on stage. Like for example, I made a video of myself performing with myself, like right. two of me on the screen at once, which I can, I mean, obviously I can never do on stage. Um, so like, so stuff like that has been kind of cool. And then, then I don't know, towards the end of last year, I got kind of tired of hosting online shows and just feeling, I don't know, just not having the energy to do it, just sitting at home in front of a computer mm -hmm. with no audience feedback was kind of getting depressing, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I guess then because of the second lockdown, people were then more inclined to watch online shows again because <laughs> there weren't other options. Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, and I got more into it. And, and now I actually am really, I mean, I don't want to do it forever, but I do enjoy the fact that like people can watch me from all over the world um, and I can connect with 
performers from all over the world. Like, so I, I invite performers to perform in my online shows, which just means that they send me a pre-recorded video performance, basically. Um, but that's that's enabled me to connect with people from yeah, literally all over the world. I've had people from Australia, Chile, Canada, Singapore in my show, um, and I never would have met those people otherwise. So that's been actually like amazing again um, it kind of connects to this concept of accessibility that you talked yeah. about you know, oh yeah it's <laughs> totally in sync with that yeah yeah because online shows are totally accessible in a in a different way than than the live shows um and i think once i'm able to do live shows again i would like to find a way to like live stream them so that an on- online audience can still watch mm-hmm. um but i i definitely want to do online show uh live shows again i don't want to just live as an online drag queen who only appears from the waist up uh on a screen yeah <laughs> which has its own advantages I, <laughs> I guess but still it's like a different it's like a different skill set absolutely yeah and I'm, I'm glad to have uh to have been able to develop that skill set but it's yeah and it i think it will enhance my experience as a drag queen it is already but it's um was totally unexpected for everyone right yeah and I've got, um, unless you're really sitting on one, I've got a no, two-parter. Okay. I've got a two-parter here. So <laughs> whenever, whenever like the average person thinks of drag, of course, they think of RuPaul mm-hmm. because of the popular show. And when I've watched your videos, especially like particularly with Persia, you talked about um, some issues with exclusivity on yeah. that show. And what I would be curious to know is um, sort of one, what's your overall view of that show as a whole? And well, you know what? That's probably going to be a lengthy answer enough. Let's just start there. So what's, what's your, can, you know, your feelings yeah. about that? Okay. Well, for, for people, in case anyone doesn't know, RuPaul's Drag Race is a, um, a reality TV drag competition show uh, where they pit drag queens against each other. And I think it's great that it exists because it has put drag into the mainstream. So like now there's much more demand for drag. And like, I think that's a big reason that, for example, my show was very successful. I mean, not just my show, but a lot of drag shows were successful because people really have connected with the idea of drag and want to see it, what it looks like in their city. Um, So that's a really positive thing about it. On the other hand, it's very exclusive, right? So it's, um, there's this old school idea that drag queens can only be portrayed by cis gay men. And, and that also that drag is limited to drag queens, which it isn't. There are all, there's many different kinds of drag. That's just one of them. So what we see on Drag Race is really just like a slice of this much bigger pie. Um, and it excludes trans people, until very recently, the, the most recent season has a trans male contestant, which is progress, but, it, but they're kind of a bit behind the times, I would say. Um, so, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's two-sided, right? Because on one hand, it's great that it is elevating drag to something that is popular and in the mainstream, but it's also then, because it's doing that, it's limiting people's perception who wouldn't otherwise be exposed to drag of what drag is. And drag is actually a much, much broader thing with a very long history. Yeah. It also includes women and non-binary people and trans people, of course. Um, so yeah. 
I kind of love and hate it. <laughs> I, I can I, understand that. But but I I feel like because I I wondered um there was also kind of a German adaptation of it yeah. for a time. Queen of Drags. Queen of Drags with mm. with Heidi Klum and, and then I felt like <laughs> with Heidi Klum. Yeah, I yeah. I didn't yeah, get it, right. but that's a, that's a point where where I wanted to get to. Could it be that though that the people who make these shows still feel like they they I don't know how to. Well, I, I'm sure I, I won't find the correct term for this, but they still need a, a form of, of catalyst or, or or somebody who people already know to to get yeah. them to drag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the same way, I think the show with Heidi Klum. I mean, it wasn't a good show. It was yeah. actually terrible. I think, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that the 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 queens who were on there got the exposure. And I mean, some of them I actually know from Berlin. There, uh, at least three of them are are kind of friends of mine um but it's not yeah having Heidi Klum at least RuPaul is a drag queen so hosting a right. show about drag makes sense but Heidi Klum is I mean bizarre that's a bizarre choice but but on the other hand it, it's it's making it accessible to people who would be like oh I'm not going to watch a show about drag queens oh but it's Heidi Klum so maybe I will exactly know? so that in a way it's 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 again it's two-sided but yeah but then do you think um that there that there is a way that that um that drag culture could become like let's say full mainstream plus still be representative since it can be basically anything like you said mm -hmm. it's a good i mean yeah it's a good question um i mean this is not this is not exactly an answer but i mean there was this um this netflix show pose which is essentially right. about the origins of modern drag. I mean, drag has an even longer history than that, but a modern drag from the, from the uh, 80s in uh, ballroom, the ballroom scene of New York. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, I think, is an, at least a historically accurate depiction of, what, of the kind of people who were doing the work that created the scene that we now enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, but... Yeah, even then it was it was much narrower. It's become broader since then. So I don't I don't know. I don't know. That's a really good question. I've heard people talking about I mean, I have a lot of friends who are drag kings, for example, and I hear a lot of them talk saying like they want to see drag kings on RuPaul's drag race. Sure. Um or a, like a drag king version of the show, which great idea. I don't think RuPaul should be hosting it though, because he's not a drag king. But uh <laughs> It would be cool to see, like, a, but I don't know any famous drag kings. Exactly, because there are no platforms for them. <laughs> to be fair, even if there was really famous ones, I probably would be too green. I'd probably be like, oh, I didn't know that, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. It's because of that. And yeah. with, like, and also in this Persia interview, uh, not interview, in this, this video. So I keep referencing yeah. the same one, but it had so many great moments in it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> there was this moment where, where um, Persia talked about enjoying keeping uh the chest hair mm. and and yeah i think one of you referenced it as hairy drag and then right. in this other thing where you were talking to axel you talked about yeah. some some um drag queens keeping their beard yeah are these also versions of like exclusionatory Ooh, look at me behavior um <laughs> that you wish was represented more on shows like rupaul absolutely i mean on RuPaul's Drag Race, you'll, there's never been a drag queen with a beard. Um, you never see drag queens with hairy chests. But, I mean, this is cultural, I think. This is because that's what American drag 
the standards of what good drag is is in North America. That's what it is in Europe. It's different, I think, and um, it's much more normal. Like, I mean, in the in the UK, for sure, it's common to see drag queens with a hairy chest or a beard. Or, I mean, there was a, I mean, there's been both uh, UK versions and a, there was a Dutch version of RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, oh wow! From the net from the Netherlands, and one of the contestants had a beard, which was like shocking to some people because it was the first time that anyone who only watches drag race that's the only source of knowledge of drag had right. seen a drag queen with a beard but they're actually very common they're quite normal actually uh, i mean conchita wurst hello right on the eurovision mm. for austria um possibly that, the most famous european drag queen actually yeah that sent quite the uh, ripple i think through like a standard german person reading the newspaper yeah you know like what yeah. the hell am i looking at here <laughs> i thought it was yeah, kind of really. cool yeah but that was yeah. that, that was kind of a I guess kind of a nice first first step. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I mean this the idea of of like like body hair like whether it's a beard or or chest hair whatever. I mean it's these are just like signals that we interpret as markers of gender in society right. and I think drag is all about playing with gender expression. Uh I mean a lot of people describe drag as um uh gender as performance that's what that's what drag is so you're just mm -hmm. and and i think because of that we can like pick and choose any of the markers of gender and mix them together in a confusing or or a binary way whichever you want um and yeah i i mean speaking for myself like i i have a hairy chest i'm not i'm not going to shave it mm -hmm. um and mixing that with like very feminine things like huge like super high heels or really long ridiculous nails or lots of makeup like i find that satisfying because it it makes people when they see when they see that it makes them question their assumptions about what these things mean individually on people that they're just like judging as they walk down the street um and i think drag really opens up a the possibility for discussion about gender expression much in a way that we don't see in lots in really any other area yeah, that's yeah, that's really man. That's really interesting, and like thinking of this kind of um, these different genres, if you can say that, of drag and and things that you would like to see more, mm. you know, popularized more. Do you have current sort of drag icons, whether they be you know, <laughs> sort of renowned in some way, or mm -hmm. even just locally in Berlin that you're like they're doing what I like to see in drag, right? Well, I mean, Judy Ledovina, who I mentioned earlier, who gave me my very first stage performance. I mean, and I'm not the only person that she did that for. So she is definitely someone who has created like a community in the Berlin, the international Berlin drag scene. Um, she's, yeah, I would kind of consider her the mother of that scene in a way. Mm -hmm. So that's something I also tried to do. Like, I mean, with my live shows, I was absolutely offering people who'd never performed in drag before the possibility to do so. Um, one time I even hosted a show where I was not only putting myself in drag, but two other people at the same time before going to the show. That was, that was a bit much next time I need to tell them to do it themselves, but it's <laughs> <laughs> some practice, but um, yeah, creating community around drag is really is something I'm really inspired to do part, largely because of Judy. Um, if we're talking about like famous 
drag people. I mean, probably like the most famous drag queen who I look up to and would like to be like in some ways is Trixie Mattel. Um, she's, uh, she was a contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race some years ago, but she, I mean, she used that as like a springboard for her, for her fame. And she now has, she basically, she has the things that I want to, I want to do. Like I want to, I want to have a million YouTube subscribers and be making TV shows and launching my own cosmetics line and writing books and stuff like this. So that's something I aspire to do. Like, but that's an, um, go ahead. That's an interesting topic um, coming or staying within the, the artsy factor about this podcast. <laughs> um, like your, your, your perspectives or where your art and your performances um, should or could bring you. Mm. So those are, those are concrete goals you have. I mean, I mean, not specifically, I don't, I don't, I don't specifically have a passion to launch a makeup brand, but like if I had the opportunity to do that, that would be cool. Um, but mostly what I, what I would like to do is to be, is to have a platform basically to become famous, but only <laughs> as a drag queen. So people don't recognize me when I'm not in drag. There you go. And then, <laughs> and then to be able to use that platform to, to promote other kinds of drag that is underrepresented in the world, in the media to a bigger audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's basically, I mean, I'm basically already doing that in my shows. It's just that the, uh, the 1 million subscribers hasn't come yet, but I trust <laughs> that they will. You're working on it. You're working on it. <laughs> yeah. What is it about Trixie? Like, what is it about her, um, you know, her choices or actions other than like the things that she's achieved or like writing books, mm -hmm. having subscribers, like, What is it about yeah. her, at least from that show, your first encounter seeing her like that, that inspired you? I mean, to be honest, I don't, when I think of Trixie, I don't think of her appearance on Drag Race anymore. I think oh, okay. what, what is inspiring about her is that she used that as a, as a way to launch her career. And she's then, she's not, I don't think she's most known for that appearance on the show. She's become oh, okay. better known for doing the things that she's done since then, which is kind of smart and i think really the mod like that's the way nowadays that people get a platform is by being on tv essentially and right. then doing something with that um, right audience yeah and taking it somewhere else to something beyond that i think that's what that's what inspires me specifically like, I, how, how she I, like, i don't business. idolize people who've been on reality tv in general like i don't I don't, I couldn't name three Kardashians, for example, like that doesn't interest me. <laughs> of course. But yeah. um, people who use a platform to do something better and mm -hmm. to help other people and to promote people around them and support their community. That's what, that's what inspires me. Yeah, it's such a like pageant queen answer. <laughs> <laughs> But regarding possible careers as a drag queen, mm -hmm. um, One thing I've um, heard or, or seen in documentaries more often is, is a connection, uh, a certain connection to the, um, to, nah, to like uh, designers and uh, to fashion, right. just missed the word, to, to, ah. to, to, to fashion. Um, and I've seen a lot, a lot of um, people from, from Paris or, or from New York I said, okay, um, I went this way at some point. A fashion designer came to my show and was inspired by the outfits I presented. And, and that's where something, something started for me. Is this something that, that you have experienced in Berlin or that, that is all 
also a, a thing within the Berlin scene? Fashion as a vehicle for well, sorry, yeah, one of my or, lights or, went out. <laughs> easy, or or at least or at least this this correlation that like people from the other side, like from the the fashion industry, um, come to your shows or other drag queen shows, and there is this right. kind of correlation. Um, maybe I'm not really aware of it. I don't really care about fashion. <laughs> so, um, I like to look trashy, actually. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, my, actually, but but now you say that, I always forget this. My partner is actually a fashion designer, <laughs> and oh, he's man. designed a bunch of things that I wear. So I I basically outsource my fashion to other people. Um, nice. But I don't really know anything about fashion. I couldn't say. I don't think I could really answer your question specifically. But what I would I think having connections to other industries outside of drag is yes a good way of um reaching a bigger audience for sure and that actually uh, leads me to to mention my partner again because he I mean he's recently a fashion designer but he was actually um I mean he still is a DJ and a songwriter and he he actually wrote the song which made RuPaul famous in the 90s what all you better work yeah This is your partner wrote that song. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> What the hell? How did you? How did you meet? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Bizarre, right? So, um, we just met, like in the, just like sunbathing in the. Park I still feel like you're cup. lying. Honestly, that's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm no. kidding. You're not lying. Yeah, that's so crazy. <laughs> I just started doing drag like a few months before I met him, and, um. When we first met, I was like, mm, I don't know if we have much in common. And then he was like, I mean, <laughs> I made like I wasn't I was like he he grew up with RuPaul. He he used to live to live together in, in New York, in fact. And then um, like Lady Bunny and a bunch of other people from that era, he's like friends with. Um, and he's I mean, this year, actually, in in the lockdown, he wrote a song for me as well. Ooh, uh, we that's sweet. Like released it yet, but it's coming soon. So watch this space and uh, yeah, having a connection like that is definitely an advantage. I think, I mean, I think, it, Oh yeah. I think we, we complement each other though, because now we have projects that we can work on together. Like, so he's also creating a, a reality TV show about Berlin fashion designers. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm since I learned video editing from being, um, from having to do online drag shows, I've become his video, his, temporary video editor but also i'm i've become part of the show or as a drag queen so um i think that's definitely going to be something like a vehicle for this to take me in the direction that i was describing well it's so amazing when, yeah. a, when a partnership can not only live together and you know work harmoniously as like in a relationship but also kind of work together and it not grind against each other yeah you know, that can be so hard especially during quarantine because you're kind of trapped with each other yes you know <laughs> yes it's so crazy but that's really that's that's really amazing and how did how did you meet again you you did you say we i mean have you ever asked any any other gay man how he met their partner like what do you think my answer is gonna be <laughs> we met we met on at an id I mean, gotcha no <laughs> yeah no we, no i mean we actually met oh. through a friend of mine who i met on grinder but then 
yeah, whatever. They they met on Grinder and I met this person on Grinder, but yeah. <laughs> that's all good technology brought us together yeah man absolutely <laughs> i mean that's how everybody meets anybody these days it's either like yeah. it's only tinder and grinder and, uh, exactly. and what are they i don't even know if there are any other ones anymore really like that are trying to co- compete i only know the gay ones <laughs> <laughs> and people when straight people talk about tinder like it's a new invention i'm like bitch did you not hear of grinder that's the original <laughs> tinder <laughs> Oh my god! Like as soon as smartphones existed, there was Grinder. <laughs> yeah, that it's it's pretty old, right? Yeah, ten years, maybe. ten years, yeah, that's or crazy. eight, something like that. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> where do so where do you think? Like, let's say you're you're looking twenty five years into the future. Oh my god! <laughs> where would you like to see drag as a whole go? And like, where do you see yourself in that? Wow. You know what we can do? I mean, 25 years. Jordan's yeah. the one for the easy questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just you can say like, I hope it's fun. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> you know what we can do? I like, mean, tw- we, we can let you think for a second because I think this might mm-hmm. be the moment I talked about off mic where I'd like to go to the bathroom. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll be right back. You don't have to stop anything. We're just going to, we're going to, you can just let it roll, Okay. You wanted to ask a really complicated question, <laughs> <laughs> but you know you can you can you don't have to 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 you know run the engine too hard on this one. But I was just thinking, you know, if you picture twenty five years in the future, what would where would you like to see drag as a whole, and where do you see yourself in it? I mean, twenty five years in the future, if if humanity survives that long um <laughs> true i guess true. i mean it's that's a it's a hard thing to answer because on the one hand i would like to say that drag is like something that's fully mainstream and like normalized and i mean that would potentially in 25 i mean in my like fantasy that would potentially mean that drag doesn't actually exist on its own anymore that it's just become like de- part of daily life and people are dressing up with whatever the fuck they want all the time um so, I, yeah, I don't know if I would want to live in that world where drag, drag doesn't exist as an art form. It's just, like, part of everyday life. Hmm. And it's, it's the thing of, like, do I want to be... Do I want to uh, share my enjoyment of drag with everyone so that it's, like, e- equally available to everyone? Or do I want to be, like, the person who's, like... I liked it back when it was cool, before it was mainstream. Right. Um, <laughs> right. I don't think I want to be that person, but, you know. So, I mean, 25 years is a long time. I don't know. Let's say, I mean, in five years, I would like sure. to see, I would like to see more trans people doing drag, like on TV, for example, on Drag Race, let's say. Um, That's a fair goal. I, th- I don't even <laughs> think it's that unrealistic, honestly. No, it's already happening. So, but it just needs to happen quicker. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and and let's be honest here. <laughs> I I know you've said no uh, before, but if you got a letter in the mail from RuPaul's Drag Race and they said, "Oh, Morgan, we love your videos. We love your makeup. We love who Morgan is." 
would you want to be a contestant on season, you know, I don't know, 3000 of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race? Right. Would you do it? RuPaul's, RuPaul's Drag Race on Mars. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the Elon Musk sp- sp- yeah, special edition. Sponsored by Elon Musk. No. <laughs> I mean, sure. It would be a, I mean, at this point in my drag career and seeing how other people's drag careers go, like it's the easiest way to become, to, to, to gain an audience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. But I mean, I'm also kind of working on my own show or my own spot in a show in another context. So like, mm. maybe I'll be busy. I won't be able to Ooh. just come at RuPaul's beck and, beck and call. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so Sorry, Ru, I don't have time for you. Yeah. Click. <laughs> sorry, bye. <laughs> that would be, 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 be probably the best case scenario. Um, but for me, an, an interesting key phrase you just um, said in your kind of triumphant prediction is uh-huh. um, drag being part of everyday life. Is this something you already do now? Like, I don't know, going, going on a night out in drag or something? Um, I mean, for myself personally, no. Um, if I'm going to get in drag, it's for a specific reason because I'm hosting a show or I'm performing at a show or I'm doing an event or something like this. Like Mm -hmm. there's a, I just doing it to go out for fun. It's so much work. It's not really enough. It it doesn't, it doesn't bring me enough joy just to like do the whole process just to go out for fun. Um, but I do like to do it when I have like a specific purpose for that occasion. Um, although, I mean, that said, I definitely in quarantine, like in the first lockdown, for sure, I definitely started experimenting more with makeup and just playing with it for fun. But that was like a learning process also. And I had a goal in mind. I wanted to be able to do specific things with makeup. Um, but in terms of everyday life, yeah, I mean, maybe I'll go out to a, I mean, when that was possible, go out to a house party with some eyeshadow on just as a boy. Um, mm-hmm. But Beyond that, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I, I didn't. Sense. I didn't think about the effort it uh, it takes. And uh, yeah. by the way, we we feel uh, super honored that you uh, took this effort for this occasion. Oh, I mean, yes, it's your so first wonderful. video episode. Of course, I'm honored. <laughs> Is there going to be a tutorial video of you putting on the makeup for this show on your YouTube? <laughs> I I thought of that, but I've, there are so many makeup tutorials on my sh- on my channel. I think I need to do something a bit different. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it does take it takes me two or three hours to do makeup usually. I mean, I can do it quicker if I'm in a rush, but mm-hmm. uh, but then it's also like everything else is the shaving beforehand the right. getting the wig right putting on my body because i mean i'm not now but i often when i'm performing i wear hip padding so that i have like an hourglass shape mm-hmm. um shoes like it's all nails i mean yeah i'm glad i didn't do that tonight what's, what's I can't been do your what's happened what's been your most extravagant outfit like what's taken the most time to get ready for hmm I saw the one I think with um with Focatia where you had the the, the bird cage one with the curtains. That was ridiculous. That's that was a, that seems very complicated. It was yes, it was. It was a very uncomfortable too. But that's a, an outfit that she created and just brought with her. So I just had to put it on. It wasn't that difficult, I guess, but it was really uncomfortable. I don't know how you could perform with a bird cage on your like a literal bird cage on your head. Mm-hmm. But um, the things people do for art. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tend to keep my looks not too complicated, especially if I'm hosting a show because I because re- I have to be able to do a lot of different things. Um, like I have to not just not just host the show, but I have to like set things up before the show happens. Right. Like communicate with all the performers, make sure that everyone's in the right place. Like yeah. communicate with the bar stuff that things are working. And so I try not to limit myself too much, but that, I don't know. I say that. And then, yeah, like last year I started wearing false nails to perform. And that was like one of the worst decisions I ever made. Cause I literally cannot do anything with nails on. <laughs> I couldn't even go to the toilet. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Horrible. Oh man. But is there but, um, like, um, is, is there like a, a feature, like you said, you have hip pads. I know that mm-hmm. there's, uh, is it called breast plates? Right. Persia. I mean, and if you saw my, the video with Persia, she has a breastplate. So it's like a silicone thing that fit over your neck and it mm-hmm. gives you boobs basically. Uh, I don't have one of those. They're quite expensive, like three, three or 400 euros maybe. Oh, um, wow. Okay. So it's an investment. I would, yeah. I would look at, into that for sure. But um, no, I mean, I just wear a bra and stuff it with socks. Oh, it seems the most reasonable. <laughs> yeah. We still, like, we didn't really dive into, um, like, as thoroughly as I'd like to yet, but now's the perfect time. Um, when did you start incorporating astrology, like, you know, pretty regularly into your drag performances mm-hmm. and on, online? Um, really just in the last year, uh, or even six months, last six months, really. Um, yeah, again, as a teenager, I was like, I was kind of, fascinated by astrology and let, I mean, I would study it to some extent, um, not very in depth. And then I don't know, I just put it away. It feels kind of like it mirrors my drag experience in that way, that it was something I was interested in as a kid, but then I got, I don't know, shamed for it maybe like it mm-hmm. wasn't something that was cool to be interested in. And now kind of, now it's cool again, I guess, or I was just, I didn't care that it wasn't cool anymore and decided that I wanted to pick it up. Um, and I get, especially, I think with the first lockdown, like that, I felt like, oh, there's so much that's out of our control. I mean, but that's true all the time. Um, yeah. And astrology, I still don't, I mean, I still don't know if I really believe in astrology, but I like that it gives me this feeling of like, oh, these plan- the planets are moving around in this way. This is happening regardless of what we're doing here on earth. And maybe it offers an exp- explanation of how we're feeling or why things are happening. And that's kind of comforting. Yeah. So uh, putting it into my shows. I don't take it too seriously. Like, um, I, I want to give people kind of vaguely accurate information. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows what's accurate, but, um, reliable, I guess, information yeah. from sources that I trust at least. Um, but I want to do it in an entertaining way. So even for people who are not necessarily interested in astrology, they can still find it entertaining at the very least. But what, what, sorry, but what I wanted to ask, um, so, this has happened out of your your personal interest but is there also historically or something a connection to drag culture because that's there's also something i've 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 seen more often now really? like in, as part of, of performances etc okay yeah like I, mean, online, I don't know any... like online yeah and and, and like i said before I, I watched this one great uh, documentary about uh, about this drag queen in, in paris and Within that community, it also was a huge thing, and so I, I was super uncertain if oh. it, if there probably is a connection. But in your case, it's just a personal interest. Yeah, I didn't know that actually. I mean, it sounds like you know more about dragon astrology meeting than I do because I've never. Heard <laughs> I don't of, think so. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that. I would love to hear about this documentary about Parisian drag astrology queens. Um, 
Uh, me too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was a bit inspired by, I mean, maybe you saw this documentary about Walter Mercado. Um, it was on Netflix last year. He was a... What's it called? Uh, what was it called? Mucho, mucho amor, probably. That was his tagline. I saw that. I yeah. saw that, but I, did, I had it in the queue and I didn't watch it yet. Yeah, it's, I mean, he's like a queer icon. Um, yeah. He's, he's almost a drag queen, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, yeah, a TV astrologer in the, in, Spain, in Latin, or, no, in, no, well, in the Spanish speaking world in, in Latin America, mostly. Latin I, think America. He's, I think he's uh, Cuban. Oh, no, Indian. I did see, I did see that because his house <laughs> is so crazy. Yeah, like the they, the room where they interview him is kind of like it's yeah. almost like giving me a headache. Like it's mm-hmm. this crazy. What are what's on the walls? Like all these photos of him, mm-hmm. and oh, there was something else that was kind of weird, like dolls or something. Probably, okay. I don't know, but I did see that. Yeah, the astrology guy. Yeah. Oh man, that. But I mean, it's a cliche, or but I mean, for a reason. I think queer queer people. I'm noticing, in at least in my anecdotally like in my surroundings queer people are really into astrology at the moment Mm -hmm. um and so yeah i guess all these things combined like i was interested in it um this documentary inspired me a little bit and it was just something i thought would be entertaining and i'm noticing that other people around me interested in it was just what led me to putting it in my shows and i and people respond to it pretty well so it's i think it's yet to stay for now do you think astrology sometimes helps people put an answer to the Kind of random everyday chaos of being alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, I think that makes if sense. It's like, yeah, I think for some people anyway, I mean, I find it, like I said, I, I just find it comforting. I'm like, oh, why do I feel so anxious? <clears throat> oh, it's because the moon is doing this and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, it's kind it's of an just, answer to it. Yeah. It's something yeah. that's external. <laughs> so I don't, I, don't, I don't have to focus on my own problems too much. <laughs> <laughs> Could could this also be because most big religions aren't really an option for for the queer community because many of them exclude them? That's a really interesting idea. I never thought of that, but that totally makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, probably. But I I I must say I I find it uh, super uh, entertaining, and I get absolutely no interest in astrology. But I just watched today your. Um, performance as Lorraine and oh, uh, the horoscope for, for That's Taurus. what I wanted to ask about, yeah. And just so I got this right, you said your ex-partner was English. Your current yeah. partner is American? Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay. That's that's interesting. Is it is it challenging at all to, like, does your partner ever consider about wanting to, like, go back to America? Well, I mean, he has always had the idea that he would like to live between uh, Berlin and LA, uh, because mm-hmm. I mean, because he wants to make TV basically, so that makes sense. Yeah, in that in that, in that sense, um, I've never been to LA, <laughs> but I would <laughs> I would love to experience it. I think it sounds yeah. it sounds both wonderful and horrifying in equal measure, and I think I just I I'm really curious to see it. So maybe by the end of this year, we actually might be there already to to check it out and potentially even filming, start filming something, who knows? Um, I never really thought, I never thought I would have a desire to live in the US and I'm not, I'm not sure I do, but right, to be right. like a, a frequent visitor, perhaps, yeah. who knows? Um, I mean, I did have a little bit of a moment recently, like in this 
in this extended second lockdown where I was like, I don't know if I want to live in Germany anymore. They're handling this terribly. Yeah. But then I had the thought like, well, where else would I go? I, I mean, the UK is, is doing better in terms of vaccinating people, but in, in much else, I don't know. Um, I can't really imagine living there again, but yeah, who knows? I just I mean, saw today I, that like all adults in the States are officially eligible for vaccina- yeah, vaccination. Wild. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. If they, if they, I mean, if they vaccinate the same pace as they do now, they will have vaccinated, I guess, I saw 90% of the, po- of the whole population by July. Wow. That's crazy I know they, speed. I know they did a hundred, a hundred million in his first like 55 days. Mm. Cause that's right. when he did his first, um, his first press conference. They were like, what's he going to do? Who's his- he? Uh, Biden. Sorry. Oh. Jeff, Bi- <laughs> Jeff Biden. Jeff Biden. Joe Biden. <laughs> Oh my God, man. This is why it's not a political podcast. <laughs> but um, <laughs> regarding having a partner from the States, mm. or yeah. at least uh, this, this kind of transatlantic relationship, which yeah. is something you guys have in common. Yeah. May I ask you a question, Jordan? Because it just came to my mind. Mm-hmm. I also never asked this question to you privately, but was it ever an option for you and your partner to, to have it that way, to probably... Um, I don't know, live part-time in the States, part-time in Germany, or your partner coming to the States? Um, I think it was never really on the table that we would go, like, fully live in America. Which, if Trump had never been president, I don't know mm-hmm. if that argument would have been softened. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, let's say you have, if you could have had, like, another term of Obama. Um, just as a good reference point, it might've been an easier argument for my side, but the thing was always like, do you like, do you want to be in this relationship? Because if you do like Germany needs to be a huge part of it. And I was like, okay, okay. I do for sure. So then I came here. And so the, the conversation, you know, sometimes it does tap into like, sometimes I really miss it. And sometimes I really miss like my family there and the friends I had there and stuff. So there's always this idea of, um, like, how much do you miss it? Do you miss it so much that you no longer can live here? Because mm-hmm. then that changes things. But if it doesn't get to the point where you can't live here, then maybe just, um, you know, like Morgan said, just doing these, like, frequent visits is, is, more, is enough. We, we do have a compromise now where it's basically um, what we'd like to start doing, hopefully as early as next year, is going to the States two months every year to see family and friends in like an equal time. Cause usually it's so rushed. Usually it's like 14 days or 15 days or something. It's such little time to travel that far. And if that works, if we could like rent a house there or get an Airbnb or something for two months and see everybody in good time and feel relaxed and then come spend the rest of the time here, I think that would be just perfect. Mm-hmm. Then I think I, everything would be kind of equal again. I think it's the fact that, I just haven't been there at all since like spring 2019 that okay. everything's kind of like, you know, piling on a bit more. But with, with you, Morgan, and, and your own migration story, so there's, there's nothing that could draw you back to, 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 to Britain? Or that I mean, you miss or anything? There's nothing I miss, no. Okay, that's a statement. <laughs> <laughs> Blanket statement. <laughs> no. I mean, the, I mean, the people, but they can come visit me. That's easy. I mean, they could, not, not really right now, but um, 
I mean, I grew up in London. I only have one family member who still lives there. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. None of my family or, or even friends actually still live in London. They've all moved, but they live in other parts of the UK. Um, but is there things I miss? Good Indian food. Yeah. Germany doesn't yeah. have good Indian food. The Br- Britain does, but <laughs> apart from that, no. That's kind of how I feel about Mexican food. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> it's like when yeah. you're from a place that has like really authentic food, you're like, come on, man, pick it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Oh, man. Um, I'm trying to think if, if there's anything else that I haven't really. Oh, who's the Dragaholic family? Oh, that's um, that's headed by Judy Ledovina, who I was mentioning earlier. She oh, OK, OK. She, so she invites tons of people to perform on stage and she's created like a whole army of performers who've like had their first appearance with her. Okay. Okay. I was just curious. I saw that in your YouTube bio and I was like, I got to ask mm. what that is. Oh, and I love this, um, this question. I'm not sure if Mo saw it. So it'd be cool to hear you describe it um, if you want. But I saw when you interviewed Axel, you asked him if he knew what a death drop was. <laughs> Did you see that one? No, I, I didn't see the one, but you, you told me about the situation. Maybe we just have to, to sort out who, who's Axel and, and, and why this is uh, funny, probably. Uh, Axel <laughs> I mean. was, um, was Morgan's straight friend, and the video was okay. just like, um, like asking, what was it? It was just like asking a straight friend about drag to see what they yeah. know, right? Yeah. That was kind of the, the game of it. Okay. And uh, I yeah, didn't his... know that term either. Okay. Yeah, I mean, his only experience of drag was from seeing my show actually so that was kind of i mean i never do death drops i mean it, it's a specific dance move where you like slam your body on the floor in a certain position it looks horrible but it's very common <laughs> i mean it comes from again it comes from the ballroom scene in in uh, new york in the 80s yeah i definitely i definitely can't even imagine that must hurt so much yeah don't don't try that at home kid <laughs> no i mean if you're actually if you actually know how to do it i guess it works i mean i would never i would never try but I'm just not that kind of, I'm just not that kind of performer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that was my, I think that was my last thing that I really, really needed, really needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And you've already basically said, I was going to say like, besides people like, besides looking into like divine or RuPaul or like Paris is burning or things like that. Would you have any advice for someone who's a bit um, naive about getting into drag or like someone who wants to do it? Wait, okay, yeah, I mean, someone who doesn't know anything about drag and wants to learn, yeah. watch Paris is Burning. That's your homework. Mm-hmm. That's like the very first thing you have to do. Um, and I mean, then, I mean, it go, can go a million different directions from there. But I mean, I, I do think RuPaul's Drag Race is a decent place to learn more about drag. Someone who wants to like start doing drag themselves. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I learned to do makeup just from watching YouTube videos. So, I mean, everything is on, everything's, everyone has already done something on YouTube and you can watch them do it and learn from them. Uh, but besides that, I mean, pre-corona, I would say just go to drag shows in your city. Yeah. Um, now you can go to online drag shows anywhere, actually, including mine. <laughs> um, and see what other people are doing and what inspires you, what, what do you want to do with your drag? What's the like, what's the thing about drag that attracts you? Is it the performance? Is it the makeup? Is it the looks? Is it the like experimenting with gender stuff? Is it, Mm -hmm. I mean, 
yeah, it could be any of those things or a mix of them. Um, but just, just play, just play with it. I think it's, I mean, it should be something that's fun. I know I yeah. said earlier, I don't go out in drag for fun. <laughs> <laughs> I do perform for fun. Like I don't, yeah. I don't really make money doing this right now, but it's, I do it because I find it fun and it brings people joy and it brings people together. And it, uh, it shows people that you can be something else for the evening yeah. and it's something to be celebrated, not something to be like afraid of. So yeah. Beautiful. If, yeah. Or, or just, I don't know, send me a message. If you want to, if you want to start being a, if you want to be a drag queen and you're in or near Berlin, like, or even if you're not reach out to me and we maybe you can be in my, my next online show. That's awesome. Yeah. Where, nice. where can, um, where can people find you? Like your, your social. Right. So, uh, Instagram, Morgan Wood Callisto, M-O-R-G-A-N-W-O-D-C-A-L-L-I-S-T-O. That's my main Woo, that social media. <laughs> yeah, that happened one time at a show. Someone, I was presenting someone on the stage and they were like, spell their name. And I spelled <laughs> it and then some, somehow it became like a trope that I do at my shows now. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I also have a YouTube channel. Uh, I just reached 100 subscribers, so I now have a, a customized URL, which is it's youtube.com slash morganwood86. Nice. Um, and I have, a, I have a Patreon page recently, which I mm -hmm. set up, um, yeah, I mean, in response to the situation where we can't perform and make money from performance, really, but mm -hmm. also because I want to develop making content online. Um, and I want to be able to work with other people and make content and pay them for it because I think I think drag performers deserve to be paid for their time and their art. Just the so, same like as any artist. performer, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah ex exactly. Uh, and I think absolutely. Patreon is a really nice way to be able to do that. Actually, um, mm -hmm. I have a bunch of friends who are who are using it very effectively. Um, yeah, so yeah, I would love it if you join me on any of those places: Instagram, YouTube, Patreon. And we're going to put yeah. those links into the description of the audio. Um, Great. And yeah. it should be in our, in our YouTube description as well. We're going to do that. And um, I would have one very last question. Since you it. just mentioned one more time, drag is all about fun. Is there one aspect for you as a drag queen that is most fun for you? I mean, really, really, truly, it's being on stage and doing something so stupid and ridiculous and like seeing people just like losing their shit because they're so happy that yeah. they're seeing this like gorgeous creature do something ridiculous. <laughs> that that's really fun for me. Um, and, and I mean, I know because I know what the feeling is like on the other side of that. I, I've been, I would, I go to, would go to drag shows all the time and just seeing someone do something, even if it's something really simple or simple seeming, but it's like something that, they just, they're just like, they, you can tell that that person is like feeling really fabulous and they're like owning the space and yeah. being, being like in their power with expressing themselves. That's like, it's so special to see that. And that, that I don't know, that just yeah. really both from both sides, I really enjoy that part of, of drag. That's a great answer. Yeah, definitely. So Morgan, thank you again so much for writing in and, and being the first uh, yeah Woo! 
Thank you so much for, for being on the show, for being so open and so honest with us. And uh, we, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. No, I mean, I, it was a, a total honor to be first one on your, on your video, video, uh, video show. And I can't, yeah, I'm looking forward to see where you go with it because it, it's really exciting. I mean, this, this setup is like professional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! <laughs> nice. Yeah, okay. and hopefully we can um, have another conversation probably at some point where you can hopefully host your own show again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think at some point in this summer it will become possible at the very least to do to host a drag show like outside and I would absolutely yeah. do like a show in a park or something. I think that would be really fun. Yeah, that'd do. be cool. Anyway, I just want to say we would love to have you back at some point. Yes. <laughs> cool, thank you. Excellent. All right. Well, then I guess we'll all just hang up together. And um, thank you guys so much for watching. We're going to put Morgan's socials down below in the description, and we will see you next week. So thank you, Morgan, again. And yeah. Thanks. All right. <laughs> bye bye, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs> Look out, baby. The Saints are coming through. Artsy Farsi Immigrants, ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Batscheider, produziert für M94.5.